It's great to be with y'all and for you to be able to hear me. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask you if you would turn with me in your Bibles if you have them to Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. Um, I'm Howard. Um, I'm here at the head of school here at Providence. And um, we love Covenant Church and what y'all are doing here as a church. And so um, I'm really grateful to be able to have the opportunity to come and share with you guys. Um, and uh, what are we about? We're about the gospel. That's what this church is about. That's what we need to be about as Christians. That's what Jesus came to be about, about the good news. And just so you can have some background, the book of Mark, um, many of you know this, but um, is about Jesus and the good news that he came to bring. And he came especially to a community called Capernaum. Um, that was Peter's hometown, James and John's hometown. And uh, a few years ago, I'd never traveled internationally, but my parents took my brother and sister and me to Capernaum, uh, to Israel. And as part of that, we went to Capernaum, which is a pretty interesting place. About 100 years ago, the Catholic Church bought it from the uh, country of Turkey uh, when it was still under the Ottoman Empire. And, um, and they began to excavate it, and it's a pretty amazing place. But it's, um, I had no idea what to think about about having contacts for things like cities like Capernaum. I just assumed it was like Shreveport or Bossier or whatever. But it's, it's about the size of your subdivisions, most of your subdivisions. No bigger than that, actually a little bit smaller. Um, and uh, they actually found Peter's house, and it's, it's a stone's throw away from the sea. Um, and so, so much of Jesus' early ministry happened there, and what we read about today actually happened there. Some of the things that happened there, Jesus was in the synagogue. Uh, a crazy person came to him. He cast out the demon. Everybody started talking about it, as you can imagine. If you just live in a community that's kind of isolated and it's no bigger than your subdivision, uh, everybody knows everything that's going on. And uh, they don't need Facebook. They got each other. And, um, and so then after that, he calls James and John and says uh, the common phrase, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They were fishermen. He then calls Peter and Andrew. They were also fishermen. He then heals Peter's mom at their house. And the word gets out that he's healed his mom. And so like, they start bringing all the sick people and the demon-possessed people to Jesus. And he heals them all that they bring to him. And so, as you can imagine, this subdivision is having like, this crazy thing going on. And then... In the last section before the section we're going to read, verses 13 through 17, we see uh, chapter 2, these guys bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they couldn't get in the door because they were in somebody's house. It was was a relatively small house, no no bigger than what the chair set up is. Uh, That would have been a big house back then, but... And, um, And so they couldn't get in, so they went to the roof and dug a hole in the roof and dropped the guy in. And when they dropped him in, Jesus' first words to this paralyzed guy was what? Your sins are forgiven. And that sounds like something you would expect from a religious leader, but it's not exactly what his friends wanted to hear. They wanted him to be healed. And the Pharisees got really angry with Jesus and says, who does this guy think he is? He can pronounce that people's sins are forgiven. And Jesus says, so you can know that I have the power to forgive sin. I want you to get up, take your mat, and walk out. And the guy who had been paralyzed for quite a while, everybody knew him, gets up and walks out and proves that Jesus can forgive um, and heal. 
pretty radically. He's God in the body, as it were. He's remarkable. And so that leads to this passage here, um, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So Levi rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord God, I praise you that you give us your words, that we can know you. And I praise you for each person here, and I pray that through your spirit you would speak to them, that you would take these fumbling lips of mine and um, proclaim your word powerfully to us, that we might would rest in you more deeply and live for you more faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have a question for you, and this is not meant to be rhetorical. If you were going to pick a representative for yourself, what are some qualities you would pick in your representative? Honesty? Wise, compassionate? You'd want someone of character, probably. You'd want someone who you could kind of trust that they would do what you sent them to do. The interesting thing about the passage today is that Jesus picks a guy who is not known for any of those character qualities. Levi, he has a Jewish name, so we know he's Jewish. But he was a tax collector, and so we know he was a scoundrel. We know he was a traitor. If you're a tax collector, you work for the Roman government. And he was deeply hated by his community for two reasons. One, he was a traitor. And two, he took their money. Nobody likes tax collectors, even like the honest ones. Nobody likes them because they take our money. And so Jesus is on a mission to engage others to know and experience God and to over time represent his mission and character to others. And he's looking for representatives, and he chooses Levi in this passage. That's a pretty crazy deal, and we're going to explore that today. How does Jesus engage others into the kingdom of God, into this, this is what God is like, this is what I'm about as a mission? And we're going to see, because Jesus is calling the needy, we must come and bring those around us. We see that Jesus is calling with intentionality, He's calling through hospitality or parties, and he's calling as the great physician. To begin with, we see in this passage in verses 13 and 14 that Jesus is calling with intentionality. We see that by who Jesus calls, who Jesus invites to follow him. In verse 14, it says, As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and said to him, Follow me. And Levi arose and followed him. So who does Jesus invite to follow him? Levi. Now what does that tell us? Well, Jesus is going to show through his life, but he shows us here in particular through Levi, 
that the good news is for those of us who are screwed up, who wasted our lives to this point, who are even perhaps overcome with isolation or rejection, maybe even from religious communities, as tax collectors were hated by the religious community. Jesus is telling us that the good news is for people just like us. Now, none of us like to think of ourselves as screwed up. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, several years ago, I was, um, I was at this really random deal. I was at the chess club at Barnes & Noble in Shreveport. I'm not a great chess player. I was pretty embarrassed by how badly they beat me. But one of the guys I was talking to found out I was a preacher, and so he uh, said, I'm an atheist. You probably don't want to talk to me. And I was like, no, you're exactly the kind of guy I would like to talk to you. So I talked to him and had a really fascinating conversation with him, learned a lot about his story and what drove him to his atheism. Um, but after I finished, this friend of his caught me and said, hey, what were y'all talking about? And I said, we were talking about Jesus and the good news. And he said, well, that was a really random person to talk to about Jesus and the good news. He's an atheist. Why do you want to talk to him? So as I started talking to him, I was, uh, he said, you know, I have a problem with the Bible. And this guy with professed to be a Christian. I was like, what's your problem with the Bible? He's like, well, grace goes to people who don't deserve it, and I really feel like that's not fair. And I said, well, it's not fair. Um, that's kind of the whole point of the gospel is that we get what we don't deserve. Jesus got what he didn't deserve. But I said, you know, the, the good news is that, uh, at least for me and I think for most people, we are all the undeserving ones. We're the screwed up ones. And he looked at me and he said, what? What, past, what church do you pastor? Because I can't imagine anybody coming to church where they were hearing that they're screwed up. Um, but this is the, the exact thing that Jesus was coming to proclaim, is that the good news is for those who are screwed up, but it's truly good news. It's the thing that restores us and gives us life. And Jesus was inviting Levi to be a part of his team. Now, not only was it pretty radical that Jesus was inviting Levi, he was doing it very intentionally, but that he was inviting Levi to be a part of his team. Now, who was a part of Jesus' team to this point? James, John, Peter, Andrew. They were all fishermen. They were, um, fishermen was, was a, you know, common profession. Uh, they'd have been kind of normal, middle class, good, faithful Jewish boys. Um, and they would have not liked tax collectors. If you're thinking about how to build a strong team, uh, Levi would not have been the next person you would have picked for your team. So why in the world would Jesus pick someone like Levi to come? Well, here's the reason. Because Jesus is not about picking what seems natural or easy. He's not about catching the, the almost clean ones and making them now clean. Jesus is about doing miraculous things to show his power, the radical nature of his grace, that his grace is not for good people, it's for people who are desperate for help. Forgiveness is not for those who deserve it, it's for those who don't deserve it. Um, he's about bringing a team together that it wouldn't make any sense that these guys would get along and be effective and making them beautiful for the sake of the kingdom. <clears throat> Now, when I was in second grade, I was not exactly an athlete. I developed into some an athlete in high school. But, but in second grade, you know how the, it goes, um, at least at my school. 
we loved to play football, played football every day, and every day we would pick teams, which is like a nightmare for anybody who's not a good athlete in second grade. And often I would get picked after the girls, and that was like the worst. I mean, not that I have anything against girls, but like, <clears throat> I like to think myself a little bit more helpful than the girls to this team effort, but obviously the guys who were picking the team didn't think so, or they hated me. But it would be like trying to pick an NBA team and picking all the losers, kind of the rejects, and making them into an amazing team. Do you know anything about the NBA? The Celtics this year, okay? Kind of hash, uh, put together team. Brad Stevens is the coach. A lot more respect for Brad Stevens because he took this team that was average players on their own right and made them into an incredible team. It's not so amazing when Golden State Warriors win the championship. They have, uh, they're like the NBA All-Star team, so like they should win. But, but Jesus is about picking people who aren't necessarily beautiful, who aren't deserving, making a team who's not necessarily fitting together in and of themselves so he might receive all the glory. And he does this very intentionally. He does this intentionally with Levi, and he does this intentionally with you and me. Um, I don't know about you, but, but the older I get, the more I just kind of realize how, like, not together I am. Um, even though God is at work in me and making me a lot more beautiful than I was 20 years ago, I feel a lot less beautiful than I was 20 years ago, if that makes sense. And Jesus did not come and make me his disciple by accident. Um, he wanted to show those who were around me when I was 18 that someone who's an arrogant, prideful jerk can become someone who's beautiful and gracious. Um, most of the people who know me now um, would not have believed that I was the same person 20 years ago. Not because I was some raging alcoholic, but because I was a self-righteous a not nice person. And that's the beautiful thing that Jesus is about. He's about taking people intentionally and making them beautiful for his name. And so I don't know where you are today. You may be completely uh, uh, captured with Jesus. And if so, I want you to be praising God because it's not because you've, you've like the wise one who figured it out. It's because of his mercy. Um, but if, if you're here today and you feel like uh, all these people, they seem to have it together, but I'm the one who doesn't. Well, just know that at some level, all of us feel that kind of way. But the other thing is, is that Jesus loves to take us who are screwed up, who are very aware of our screwed upness, and to make us his own, to sing over us, to convince us of his love and the love of the Father. That's what Jesus' intent is for you and for me. There's no accident that you're here today even, hearing about Jesus and his intentional love for sinners like this. And so Jesus calls Levi to himself, showing he calls the needy. And Levi comes, he follows, he leaves his tax-collecting ways, which would have meant he would have left the things that he idolized, his money, and followed Jesus. So how does Jesus invite people into the kingdom? Well, here he just comes up to him and invites him in. Okay, I don't think this is necessarily a very effective strategy for most people. But what he does through Levi is a very effective strategy, and it's, 
it's something that I think he's calling us to do as well. What does he do? How does Jesus want us to invite others? Verse 15 tells us what he did through Levi. And as he reclined at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. We see here that Jesus calls people through parties or through hospitality, again revealing his intentionality. So he goes to Levi's house, and Levi throws a party. Now, Levi was probably used to throwing parties because he couldn't hardly get anybody to be his friend, so he would have parties to invite people to be his friend. And who came to Levi's party? Well, it was tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, we've already discussed. Sinners was kind of code word for ladies of the night. Okay? It was not the respectable people of the community, it was the rejects, the people who were real sinners in their community, people who were ostracized, marginalized because of their reputations. And yet Jesus had called Levi. Levi now belonged to Jesus. And so he gets Levi to throw a party and goes and hangs out, reclines at table at Levi's house. So how in the world are we going to be effective in reaching the lost around us? I know this is really complicated. It's like rocket science. Here it is. Invite people over to your house. I know it's really hard to do. I mean, it takes a little courage. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. As a matter of fact, that's the most effective thing you can do for the sake of the kingdom. I would love for you all to be like, rabid theologians, incredible apologists, but most of us aren't that. But any of us can invite our neighbors and friends, people who are hurting and needy around us, to our tables, to our houses. And it's really not that hard. You invite them over and you say, hey, my name's Howard. (laughs) What's your story? And listen to their story. And then tell them your story. And start to build a relationship with them. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He got Levi to invite his friends over to his house, and then Jesus and the disciples came and hung out with Levi's friends. If you need someone to come over to your house, along with your uh, neighbors who are struggling, invite Jason and Tracy. I'm sure they need a meal. Everybody wants to eat. Luke, Ashley. Don't just invite them. Invite your neighbors. So why are we ineffective in reaching the lost? You know, um, one of the things that I've observed over my 43 years nearly on this, in this life is that when I was about 18, everybody was emphasizing evangelism all the time. And it was kind of weird because I would go into church sometimes and they would have an altar call and I'd look around and I'd say, everybody here seems to profess Christ already. Now, like, we've almost... Flip the, flip the switch into the other uh, window where we almost never talk about evangelism and outreach. But people are still deeply in need of Jesus. As a matter of fact, people in Shreveport Bossier, uh, Barna did a study on Shreveport Bossier. We're the least post-Christian city in, in uh, America. Congratulations. Uh, that means that 12% of Shreveport Bossier folks um, would consider themselves atheists. The rest would basically consider themselves Christian or Christ followers at some level. Um, but I found that even that 
many of them um, are hurting. They don't rest their identity in Jesus. Um, Many of them are even lost. And so God's calling us to reach out to those around us who are needy. So who can you reach out to? Maybe you say, I don't have any relationship with the lost. Do you know anyone who's alienated from the church? Do you know anyone who's struggling in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family? Invite these people out over to dinner, into your home. It's not necessarily going to be easy to deal with them. I very seriously doubt that Levi or Matthew would have been easy to deal with. (laughs) He invited, the first thing he does when he becomes a disciple is invites prostitutes over to his house. Think about how crazy that is. That's all kind of problems, okay, that you're inviting over. But that's exactly the sort of thing that Jesus wants us to be doing, reaching out to those around us who are hurting with an intentionality of reaching them with the gospel. Calling Levi would have been very unpopular. He would have had major issues, loving money, being compromised in certain areas, frustration with the community, um, constantly being rejected and antagonistic toward the community. Um, It's not an easy thing, but Jesus is calling us to do this sort of thing. So why do you and I struggle with doing this? The short answer is, I don't know. Maybe some of you are phenomenal. I know a couple of you in here are. um, But but most of us... uh, aren't. And it may be that some of you just don't give a rip about the lost or hurting around you on a most practical level, but I doubt that that's true for most of you. Some of you may not know any unbelieving people. You may be like, uh, I don't know who I'd invite over. And, and I would invite, encourage you, if you don't know lost people, invite needy people. But others of you, probably most of you are paralyzed because of not knowing what to do. But here Jesus gives you something simple and super effective, inviting people over to eat with you and inviting Jesus and disciples to be with you. So what's the best way to bring people to the gospel? Bring the gospel to others? It's largely through inviting them into your life. Inviting them to a meal. If you don't want to invite them to your home, invite them to McDonald's. Okay, not that that's uh, where I'd love to eat. (laughs) But you get the point. Inviting people into your life, especially over a meal, is a really effective thing to do. So you've been invited by Jesus to invite others into your life. We, if you want to see how effective the strategy is, you can look in the book of Acts, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Um, uh, Jesus rose from the dead. That was a big deal. Okay, everybody begin to know that, but but what do they do to begin to spread that message and show them the power? They invited them into their homes. The gospel began to spread radically. Thousands of people became believers, not so much through Billy Graham-style preaching, although some of that went on, but it was mostly through people inviting their, each other, their friends, over their houses and telling them about this crazy thing that happened, Jesus, his life, death, resurrection. So who does Jesus want you to invite over, the unbelieving and needy among you? So how, how, how well does this strategy work? Well, I'll tell you, it works really well. It works well today. I don't even know who LuLaRoe is. <laughs> but I know a lot of people love LuLaRoe stuff. And how do, what's the strategy for LuLaRoe? Have a party, invite people over to your home, and tell them about LuLaRoe. And 
I've seen some Luderow outfits. I'm, I'm not very aware when it comes to fashion and such. They look nice, okay? But I'm not like, I got to have this for all my girls. But I will tell you something that is something that I got to have for all my girls, Jesus. And if, if people can invite people over and it becomes a worldwide, a nationwide thing, I got to have LuLaRoe. Can you please give me $100 so I can buy whatever LuLaRoe? How much more so should we be inviting people into Jesus? Because he's a lot better than LuLaRoe. You know, there's uh, stories that I've seen and heard about. Uh, there's a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. Um, she's uh, a Christian advocate uh, who came out of a homosexual lifestyle. She was in Syracuse, New York. Um, she was a professor at Syracuse. Um, her identity was that she was the person known for women's liberation studies there. And she's a big, uh, very strong advocate in the community. Um, she had a, uh, she wrote an article in the paper advocating for things. She got all kind of mail in response. Some of those were, we think you're uh, the bees and knees. We think you're awesome. Um, she got some from Christians saying, you're awful. You're, you're going to go to hell. But she got this one letter from this pastor that she didn't know what to do with. And it was basically like, uh, I really appreciate uh, you sharing your opinion. Um, I strongly disagree with it, honestly. But I'd love to converse with you sometime about it. And she's, she was open to it. He invited her into her home, his home. They began to discuss the gospel. They began to discuss her life. Her friends came over. She didn't know what to do with that. But over time, she began to, to be compelled to listen to him. She began to read the Bible with him, and he began to read her materials um, as well. And they began to discuss these things. And over time, she began to find herself believing. Um, over time, she was so convinced that Jesus was the way that she left her homosexual lifestyle and, um, and um, became a Christian. And, um, and oddly enough, ended up marrying, not, not that she's an advocate for everybody who comes out of that lifestyle marrying, uh, a, another pastor. And... Um, and it all started with this guy being gracious and inviting her into a meal. Um, so who are you inviting? Luke 14 tells us that we're not to figure out, invite like all the nice people who have it together. We're to invite those who are needy. Um, you can look at that on your own time. Who now is coming to Jesus? Well, what I see in our culture is that um, it tends to be people uh, who are a lot like us coming to Jesus. Um, People who are relatively middle class, relatively upright, moral. That's not bad to come to Jesus, okay? I like that. But the fact is, is when you look at Jesus, he was drawing a crowd that we're not drawing. And I think a lot of it has to do with he was inviting people in who we are failing to invite in. The message hasn't changed. It's really effective and powerful. But the only way it's going to be effective is if we invite those around us to come, those who are needy, lost, even um, antagonistic. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, and that was not only true for the fishers, it was true for Levi and for his friends as well. 
The scriptures tell us, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We're to be welcoming others into our lives. But this created some troubling effects. Um, verse 16, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were upset. Why were they troubled? They were troubled because doesn't this guy, this religious guy, know that these are soiled people? These are not the people you want to be in your church. But if you join with Jesus in his mission, you'll likely get this sort of criticism too. Didn't God himself say, Woe to you and all men speak well of you? How does Jesus answer this accusation? You're hanging out with people who are really soiled. We see that not only does it call with intentionality, not only does it call us to call through hospitality, but it causes the great physician, verse 17, tells us why Jesus, what his mission is, why Jesus is about what he is. When he heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus held all authority. He could do whatever he wanted to wanted to. But now he's been given that authority in order to forgive and invite us to to invite others who need forgiveness in. It majorly contrasted with his culture. His culture was about being good, which meant basically following a a few more rules than the person next to you and judging them for all the things that they weren't doing. In our culture, we're we're really not into judgment. We're trying to move away from that, or that has been the movement. Now we're into judging for like really random, if you're not on my team, political team, I'm going to judge you, reasons. But it majorly contrasts with our culture as well. But Jesus says that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, He calls us to be about inviting those in who are really lost. Because those are the people that he's come to heal. Now, as I said before, the beautiful thing about that is that we're all screwed up. We're all broken. We're all needy. We are the people that Jesus came to come to heal and forgive. And that's true for everybody. Jesus, in the previous passage we talked about, healed so he could prove that he could forgive. Here he shows that he's the physician who forgives. Jesus welcomes the outcast. He welcomes the marginalized. He heals the demon-possessed. He heals and forgives the paralytic. But can he heal a tax collector? Can he forgive a tax collector? In many ways, that's more radical than healing a paralytic. I mean, it, it, it's, it's miraculous that the paralytic was healed. Don't get me wrong. But the tax collector? How can he ever be forgiven? How can he ever be restored? But that's exactly who Jesus calls because he's the great physician who heals and forgives those who are really screwed up, like you and me. So now Jesus interacts with those who are clearly living in sin, tax collectors and even prostitutes. Can they be healed and forgiven? And the answer is yes. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It invites people who are really screwed up and makes us beautiful. Not so we could be saying, hey, look at Howard. He is an amazing guy now but that so Jesus can receive all the glory. Look what Jesus has done. He's taken self-righteous fools and made them humble. He's taken really screwed up 
licentious folks and made them beautiful, moral, upright, all for his sake. And he's brought these two groups together and made them love one another so they actually claim to be brothers. The the early Roman uh, emperors used to make fun of Christians because they said Jesus, apparently they had this leader named Jesus who's fooled them into thinking they're brothers and sisters. How did that happen? Well, they, they had a culture of hospitality. They had a culture of inviting one another into each other's lives, even outsiders, and making them their brothers and sisters. We all long for that sort of reality. And that's the sort of reality that Jesus came to establish to make us as his people, those of the kingdom of God. So in closing... Jesus has a mission to rescue the needy. Jesus has a method calling us to invite those around us to eat with us into our lives. He has a model who he invites are not those who are righteous but needy. And because Jesus is calling the needy, we ourselves must come and we must bring those around us. So you have an assignment this week. I'm a headmaster. I give assignments. I want you to think about who around you is needy. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe your neighborhood. Maybe just an old friend that you've it's kind of fallen out of, the, out of the picture. I want you to pray and ask that God would do something crazy and use you to help to bring them to life. And then call them and invite them over for lunch. It can be at a restaurant. It can be at your house. It doesn't have to be fabulously lavish. In, in, uh, in Russia, uh, the Christians there, they have uh, parties, and they have a bottle of wine and a, and a package of crackers and a thing of cheese. It's time for a party. It doesn't matter what you have. It does matter that you invite people in. Now, in closing, I want to tell you about my friends. Um, I'm not going to tell you their names, but, but they're, they live across the street from us. And they moved in about four or five years ago. And when they moved in, soon after they moved in, um, the guy who's a truck driver had a massive uh, wreck and, uh, and had a major brain uh, injury. Um, for a year, um, Melissa brought him some cookies. I, did, I was like super busy, didn't make time to engage with them, didn't really even know their names. Um, but finally we got some time, I think it was over the summer, so we invited them over to our house. And as we invited them over to our house, uh, it became evident that they were pretty bitter toward the church. Um, they may have claimed to be Christians, but they really weren't rooted in that. They didn't love God and his word, especially his people. And so we just kept inviting them over inviting them in. They invited us over. They had a pool. It's kind of nice because we don't have a pool. Um, And so we shared life with them. And three years in, um, the the wife started coming to a Bible study that was at our house. Um, As she came, she had a lot of questions. She had a lot of angst and antagonism toward the faith. Um, But we openly dealt with her questions. Not that we had all the answers. And over time, six months later, she found herself believing. She found herself as an insider rather than as an outsider. Um, Over time, uh, her husband, who really didn't like being around people, 
started coming and hanging around and has moved um, uh, to be very affinity, have an affinity toward the faith. And what did that start with? It didn't start with me going over their house and saying, hey, I'm the theologian, I have all the answers. Let me tell you all the answers. That, that I do, I'm theologically informed, I know a lot of answers, done apologetics for 20 plus years. Um, my skill set has never brought anybody to Jesus. But my friendship has. Not in and of itself, but God's used that as an instrument. And he's calling you to be about the same thing. Let me pray. Lord God, I praise you um, that you invite us in. The meal we're about to experience, uh, your supper, um, is a sign of a coming feast that you're inviting us into. And I thank you that you've invited us in, not because we're worthy, but because we're needy and because you're gracious. And I pray that you would give us that same heart to invite others in, to invite them to meals, and that you would use us, even us, to be about bringing others to faith, that they might come to know you, rejoice in you, become beautiful, shockingly remarkable in a way that brings you glory. Do that in us, do that through us, for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you, Howard. As we move now into communion, um, what's really interesting is he was talking today about Levi as this outsider and bringing this team together that, that makes no sense at all which sounds like the church in a lot of ways, right? We're this family that are young and old, black and white, rich and poor, Democrat, Republican. None of this makes sense until we come to this table right here, until the body and the blood of Jesus. Listen, we are all outsiders until the body and the blood. Does it make sense? So today we pause. We remember that sacrifice. But we don't just remember. We then repent and believe in the good news and then we partake in Jesus' sacrifice with us. What an opportunity today. So before we take this, though, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to just sit, to pause on what Howard told us through God's word, the good news that we were outsiders and now we are insiders. And many of us live as if we're still outsiders for some reason. So today we 